Well, it is almost Christmas. Shopping has been done. The gifts have been bought, wrapped, placed under the tree. The children are excited. At least that's what I thought until I watched the news last night. And they reported that 35 million Americans have not yet done their Christmas shopping. I thought I was the only one. I would be curious to know of those 35 million who have not done their Christmas shopping, how many of them are husbands? Men, you have to get out there in the next day or two and get your wife a present or it's going to be a blue Christmas for you. But as we celebrate Christmas, our focus must be on the birth of Christ. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 1. Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but who was Jesus? There has always been some difficulty concerning his identity, and I believe the reason for that is that Jesus was both man and God. He was the son of David, and he was the son of God. Now, when the Bible refers to him as being the son of David or the son of man, it speaks of his humanity. Raymond Brown, a Catholic theologian, wrote, According to Jewish law, Joseph's acknowledgment of Jesus would make him the legal father of the child, a status not dependent on physical fatherhood, and so Jesus was truly a son of David. So when the Bible refers to Jesus as being the son of David or the son of man, it is a reference to his humanity. And yet we know he was also the son of God. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was born or in his conception, it was not the result of intercourse between Mary and Joseph, but the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit came upon her, and so she was pregnant with the child of God. And Paul then expresses that duality in Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, so there he is referred to as being the son of David, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I think the reason we have some difficulty with his identity is that Jesus was both man and God. He was the son of David. He was also the son of God. He was known by his neighbors in Nazareth as being Joseph's boy. The Bible says in Luke that Jesus had returned to Nazareth it was the Sabbath, so he went to the synagogue and he began to read Scripture. 
And the scripture says in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? So when Jesus returned to his hometown, they had watched him grow up. They remembered him as being Joseph's son. And yet there was such power, there was such wisdom in his words. They said, who is this? How did this come about? Is he not Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's boy? The disciples believed that he must be one of the prophets on one occasion. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So when the disciples were asked, who do people say that I am? They say, well, everyone thinks that you must be one of the prophets. And you recall the rest of the story. Jesus went on to say, but who do you say that I am? And it was then that Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But when he asked the disciples, they declared that people thought he was a prophet. Nicodemus believed that he was special. In John chapter 3, verse number 2, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So as I, as I read that verse, Nicodemus is, is trying to identify who Jesus is. And he says, we know that you have come from God. Now that speaks of his deity. We know that you have come from God. We know that you are a teacher. That speaks of his humanity. He said, we know that you have worked miracles. That speaks of his deity. He said, we know that God is with you. So I think that he was saying there, I'm not really sure about this, but one thing I am sure about is that God is with you. So there has always been this confusion, and still is today, concerning the identity of Jesus. We celebrate his birth, but who was he? Well, the Bible declares his deity. The Bible calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In fact, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah wrote in chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, that is Isaiah's prophecy concerning the birth of the Messiah, that a virgin will give birth to a child and we will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. John confirms that in his gospel in John chapter 1. He said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So the Bible then refers to Jesus as Emmanuel. Who is this babe whose birth we celebrate? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The Bible declares him to be the Messiah. When Jesus was a baby, you recall the story that the parents took him to Simeon. And Simeon held him in his arms and looked at him. And he said, all of my life I have been promised that I would see the Messiah before I die. 
And in Luke chapter 2, verse number 30, he said, For my eyes have seen thy salvation. As Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms, he said, This is the fulfillment of the promise of God. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the one who was promised. Andrew came to follow Jesus, and then he went to his brother Simon Peter and said to Simon Peter, We have found the Messiah. We have found the one of whom Isaac spoke. We have found the one of whom the prophets promised. We have found the Messiah. Philip went to Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one of whom Moses spoke, the Messiah, the Savior. So there is some conflict, I think, within the mind of man who is Jesus. And the conflict comes because he was both man and God. But the Bible says that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us, he is the Messiah, he is the promised Savior. Who was he? He was God in human form. Who was this babe born and whose birth we celebrate? He was God incarnate. Well, then it tells us when he came in verse number 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son. Everything was according to God's calendar. When one studies in history about the time in which Jesus was born, it was perfectly set up for the coming of the Messiah. It was politically prepared. There was a central Roman government at that time. Basically, Rome controlled the world at that time. It was a time of peace under Roman rule. There was one common language, the the Greek language, and roads had been built by Rome. Now you say, well, why is that important? Well, because the Messiah is born. The, the promise is fulfilled. So the good news needs to be carried out. And so it is easy at that time politically to, to share the good news that the Messiah has come. There is one language. It is a time of peace. There is one government. And there are good roads. So the world is politically prepared for the coming of the Messiah. It was absolutely perfect for his coming when he was born. But it was also a time of moral deprivation. When Jesus was born, it was not greatly different from our own day. It was a time of great sinfulness, and, and because there was great sin in society at that time, there was a longing within the heart of man for the fulfillment of the promise and for the coming of the Messiah. H.P. Lydon wrote, The dreadful picture of the pagan world, which St. Paul draws at the close of the first chapter of his epistle to the Romans, is not a darker picture than that of pagan writers. And yet enough survived of moral truth and human conscience to condemn average pagan practices. It led them to yearn for a deliverer. At the coming of Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, we are told that there was an anticipation. There was a longing within the heart of man for a Messiah. I think that longing exists today. In my lifetime, there has never been a time when people are more interested in spiritual things than today. We are especially watching that through the presidential primaries as they flesh themselves out, and so much attention is being given 
to spiritual things. We're very interested in that. Why? Because there is that yearning in our hearts. There is an emptiness in our hearts for God. There are those who are praying for revival. Some of you are praying for revival. God, send revival to our church. God, send revival to my family. God, send revival to our nation today. I believe that there is a spiritual yearning, a spiritual longing in the heart of people today like I have never seen in my lifetime. And it's interesting to me. Because we are very religious, or we are at least conscious of religious today, religion today, and yet there is a spiritual emptiness. Never more religion, never more religious than we are today, and yet a spiritual emptiness. Why is that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, religion cannot satisfy the longing of the heart. We may be religious, we may perform our rituals. But there is a yearning in our heart to know God. Not to be a Baptist, not to be a Presbyterian, but to know God. There is a longing in our hearts today, just as there was then. I remember on one occasion, Linda and I had, with some of you, had gone to to Rome. And we went into the Roman Pantheon, and I was walking around there. That was the place during the time of the... Roman Empire, where they would, they would set up the various gods. If they captured a city, if they captured a country, they would take the god of that country, the god of that city, and put in the pantheon, and it became a, a legal god to worship. And as I walked around that building, I thought about our own country, especially today. We have placed all the gods. It doesn't make any difference what god you worship. It doesn't matter what god it might be. We say that they are all equal. They are all the same. And not to accept that is being intolerant. And so because that is in our society today, there is this longing for God. We really want to know God. I believe that. I believe that just at the time, just as it was at the time Jesus was born, a yearning to know God, so there is that same thing today. Jesus came to a world that was prepared for His coming, and there was a yearning for the Savior. We see how He came in verse 4. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. His coming was unusual in that it was the Creator born into His creation. You see, Jesus, the babe whose birth we celebrate, created this world. The Scripture says in Colossians 1.16, All things have been created by Him and for Him. The Bible says this world was created by Him. It was created for Him. Folks, if you ever get hold of that, it will change your life. Did you know that? When you begin to see this world understanding that everything was made by Him and for Him, you'll begin to look at things differently. For instance, these poinsettias. God created them to give Him glory by being in His church. I believe that. The tree that grew and pews were made, they were made for His glory. When you begin to understand that everything in this world was made by Him, And for him, it changes things. The brass, the instrument that you play, God put that there so that you could play it to bring him glory.
Everything was created by him and, and for him. So the Creator was born into this world. Now, why would he leave the glories of heaven to come to this world so that we might know God? You see, it's difficult for us. And it's not difficult for us. It's impossible for us. How can a finite being ever know an infinite being? How can we do that? And so that's the reason that Jesus came, so that we could know God through him. There was a Sunday school class. The teacher had asked the question about God and about Jesus. And, and the teacher asked, uh, well, who is Jesus? And there was a little boy who raised his hand and he said, he's God with skin on. Well, that's who Jesus is. He's God with skin on. The Creator was born into creation. The giver of the law became subject to the law. He gave the law and then he subjected himself to it. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. So when I look at his birth, it was unusual. The Creator born into creation, the giver of the law became subject to the law. Everything surrounding his birth was unlikely. His birth was announced to unlikely people. The birth announcement did not go out to society's elite. It went out to shepherds. Max Licato wrote, Had the angels gone to the theologians, they would have first consulted their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anyone was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked at their calendars. So he went to the shepherds. Men who didn't have a reputation to protect or an axe to grind or a ladder to climb. Men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and that messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags and sleeping in a feed trough. The announcement of his birth was unlikely. He was born in an unlikely place. If we believe that a king is to be born, we expect the king to be born in a palace but Jesus was born in a common stable with the common smells and noises of the stable. He made an unlikely proclamation because he came into the world proclaiming peace. His coming was unusual and it was unlikely. Then we see why he came in verse 4 again. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Why did Jesus come? Well, he came to keep the promises of God. Folks, I believe that God is a promise-keeping God. I believe that he does what he says he is going to do. And there are many prophecies in the Bible that were fulfilled in the coming of Christ. First of all, Isaiah prophesied, telling us much about the Messiah who would be born. He said that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah said a virgin will be with child and bear a son. That was the promise. The promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says before they came together, that is speaking about sexually, before they came together. So Isaiah had prophesied that she was going, that there was going to be a, a virgin who would give birth to a child. And the Bible says in Matthew that that was fulfilled in Jesus. 
Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, prophesied that he would live in Galilee. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, and being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee. So it was prophesied that he was going to live in Galilee, and the Bible says in the New Testament that he did. Isaiah 53, 4 said that he would have a healing ministry. And Jesus had a healing ministry. He healed those who were blind. He healed those who were lame. He healed those who had leprosy. He fulfilled the prophecy of a healing ministry. Isaiah chapter 53 prophesied that he would be, that he would die between thieves and at Calvary that Prophecy was fulfilled. There are many prophecies from Isaiah concerning the Messiah, and Jesus came to fulfill them. Hosea also had some prophecies concerning the Messiah. In Hosea chapter 11, verse number 1, he says, Out of Egypt I call my son. So Hosea says that he is going to be in Egypt to be called out of Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, And he arose and took the child to his mother and departed for Egypt. Hosea prophesied in chapter 6, verse number 2, that he would rise the third day. In Acts chapter 10, verse number 40, God raised him up on the third day. David prophesied in Psalm chapter 34, verse number 20, that his side would be pierced. When Jesus was on the cross, his side was pierced. Zechariah chapter 11, verse number 12, prophesied that he would be Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah chapter 13, verse number 7 said he would be smitten. And Jesus was slapped, he was spat upon, his beard was plucked, he was smitten. Why did he come? He came to keep God's promises. He came to reveal God to us. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. I remember years ago, Curtis Vaughn, who was a professor at Southwestern Seminary, was here for the January Bible study, I believe it was. And he was teaching us through Colossians, and he came to that verse, he was the image of God. And he said, to put that in the vernacular, it is saying he is the spitting image of God. You see, Jesus, you have seen God. You see, folks, when we contemplate God, we normally do so in extremes. There are some who think of God as being total love, that God loves us, to the exclusion of justice and wrath and judgment. There are other people who see God as total wrath, and when they think of God, they see Him as a vengeful God. A God who is not forgiving, a God who is not loving. But when God wanted to reveal himself to us, he sent Jesus. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Do you know, want to know what God looks like? Then you look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Then read about Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to keep the promises of God. He came to reveal God to us, and He came to save a dying world. In verse number 5, 
in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, the truth is, Jesus did not come to explain God. He did not come to be an example for us. He came to redeem us. And we need redemption because we are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter who we are, no matter how we've lived, the Bible says that all of us are sinners, therefore we are separated from God. Our sin separates us from Him. So the Scripture says that Jesus came then to redeem us. And in John chapter 1, verse number 12, "...but as many as received Him..." To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Why did Jesus come? To keep the promises of God, the prophecies of God, to reveal God to us, and to redeem us, to forgive us, to make us become the children of God. Now, Jesus was God's perfect gift. And at Christmas, of course, we talk a lot about gifts. Jesus was God's perfect gift. For a gift to be perfect, two things must happen. There are two criteria that must be met. First of all, the gift must reflect the giver for it to be a perfect gift. Now, I was thinking about that yesterday. I had a birthday last week. And... My family and some of us were at, and, and uh, they celebrated. I wept. <laughs> but they gave me some gifts, and I thought of those gifts and how those gifts reflected the person who gave them. For instance, Steve gave me some golf balls. That's no big surprise. He plays a lot of golf. He says he does it, but he plays a lot of golf. But my wife gave me something I would never have anticipated. She commissioned Mary Williams to do a painting of my dog, Tex. I would never have thought of that. But I thought, what a wonderful gift. I'm, I'm so proud of it. And I thought, but that's just like Linda. She, she gave a thoughtful gift. Because she knew that I would appreciate it. See, that's what a perfect gift is. It is a reflection of the giver. For it to be a perfect gift, it reflects the giver. And that's what Jesus was. He was a perfect reflection of the Father. Secondly, it must meet the needs of the recipient. For it to be a perfect gift, it reflects the giver and meets the needs of the one who receives it. Jesus was the perfect gift. Because He meets our needs. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. And Jesus is the perfect gift. He meets our needs because He took our sins upon Himself to give to us forgiveness and eternal life. Who came? God came in human flesh. He came at a time when everything was prepared. He came to reveal God to us and to redeem us. And He offers to you the gift of eternal life if you'll receive it. Gracious Father and God, we thank You for the Lord Jesus who came 
to take our sins upon himself that we might be forgiven. And, Lord, I would pray today that for those who have never received the gift of Jesus, that they would. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we'll stand. The choir will sing. An invitation is extended for you. If you would like today to commit your life to Christ, come. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. You come also. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings. You come. I'll greet you as you do.